Welcome back to the MedBullet Step 1 podcast. In this episode, we go over the topic of esophageal cancer from the oncology section on MedBullets.com. Let's start this topic with a clinical snapshot. A 62-year-old man presents to the physician with complaint of fatigue and weight loss. His wife noted that he has looked thinner in the past few months, at which point he weighed himself and noted that he had unintentionally lost 10 pounds in the past few months. He has also had increased difficulty swallowing his food with occasionally choking. He has a history of alcohol use disorder and has smoked one pack of cigarettes daily for the past 40 years. An upper endoscopy is performed and demonstrates esophageal cancer. Let's now get into the topic. In terms of an introduction and overview, esophageal cancer is a malignancy affecting the esophagus. Most cases of esophageal malignant tumors are due to squamous cell carcinoma and adenocarcinoma. In terms of the epidemiology and incidence, adenocarcinoma is more common than squamous cell carcinoma in Western countries. Adenocarcinoma accounts for greater than 60% of all esophageal cancers in the United States. Squamous cell carcinoma is the predominant type of esophageal cancer worldwide. In terms of the demographics, esophageal cancer is most common in patients that are over 50 years of age. It is also more common in men than in women. In terms of the location, adenocarcinoma is more common in the distal esophagus and squamous cell carcinoma is more common in the middle esophagus. With respect to risk factors of esophageal cancer, smoking is associated with squamous cell carcinoma, alcohol consumption is associated with squamous cell carcinoma, Barrett esophagus is associated with adenocarcinoma, gastroesophageal reflux disease is associated with adenocarcinoma, and Plummer-Vincent syndrome is associated with squamous cell carcinoma. With respect to the prognosis, negative factors include increased grade of tumor and metastasis to other areas of the body. Let's now discuss the clinical presentation, including history, symptoms, and physical exam findings of esophageal cancer. In terms of a history, patients often complain of difficulty swallowing solids that progresses to difficulty swallowing liquids. Symptoms include progressive dysphagia, unintentional weight loss, bleeding, epigastric or retrosternal pain, hoarseness, and persistent cough. In terms of physical exam findings, you would typically have a normal exam unless the cancer has metastasized. Cervical or supraclavicular lymphadenopathy is an indicator of metastasis. Let's now review diagnostic studies used to diagnose esophageal cancer. Upper gastrointestinal endoscopy allows for direct visualization and biopsies if a tumor is present. Histology of squamous cell carcinoma would show keratinocyte-like cells with intercellular bridges or keratinization. Adenocarcinoma would show well or moderately differentiated intestinal-type mucosa cells with well-formed tubular or papillary structures. In terms of a differential diagnosis, the main differential to keep in mind is gastrointestinal reflux disease or GERD. The differentiating factor for GERD is the absence of malignancy on esophageal biopsy. Let's now discuss the treatment of esophageal cancer. Medical treatment involves chemoradiation and systemic chemotherapy. The indication for chemoradiation is stage 1, 2, and 3 disease. The indication for systemic chemotherapy with palliative care is stage 4 disease and patients who are not candidates for surgery. Surgical treatment involves endoscopic mucosal resection and esophagectomy and esophagogastrectomy. 
the indication of esophagectomy or esophagogastrectomy is high-grade dysplasia in a patient with Barrett esophagus that cannot be adequately treated with endoscopic resection. In terms of complications, esophageal cancer can cause esophageal obstruction and metastasis. Distant metastasis is typically to the liver, lungs, and adrenal glands. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. First question. A 65-year-old woman from China with a 50-pack year smoking history comes in with several weeks of unintentional weight loss and a sensation of solid food, quote, sticking to her throat. Physical exam reveals painless enlargement of her left supraclavicular nodes. Barium swallow shows luminal narrowing, and serology shows that the patient has hypercalcemia and iron deficiency anemia. The biopsy of the lesion shows keratinizing pearls. Which of the following associated findings is a risk factor for this patient's disease? 1. Barrett's esophagus. 2. Obesity. 3. Plummer-Vincent syndrome. 4. Caucasian race. Or 5. Frequent NSAID use. And the correct answer choice is answer choice 3, Plummer-Vincent syndrome. This patient's biopsy and symptoms are consistent with squamous cell carcinoma of the esophagus. Plummer-Vincent syndrome, though rare, is known to be a risk factor for squamous cell carcinoma of the esophagus. Remember, esophageal squamous cell carcinoma typically develops in the upper two-thirds of the esophagus. Hypercalcemia, as seen in this patient, may be observed in patients with squamous cell carcinoma due to ectopic production of parathyroid-related protein, or PTHRP. Plummer-Vincent syndrome is a known risk factor for squamous cell carcinoma and is characterized by iron deficiency anemia, esophageal webs, glossitis, and difficulty swallowing. Other well-known risk factors for squamous cell carcinoma include smoking, alcohol, and achalasia. Let's now review the incorrect answer choices. Answer choice 1, Barrett's esophagus is a major risk factor for adenocarcinoma rather than squamous cell carcinoma. Answer choice 2, obesity has been shown to increase the risk of esophageal adenocarcinoma rather than squamous cell carcinoma. Answer choice 4, rates of esophageal adenocarcinomas are higher in Caucasians and males. However, rates of esophageal squamous cell carcinoma are lower in this population. And finally, answer choice 5, chronic NSAID use is a risk factor for the development of gastric ulcers rather than development of esophageal squamous cell carcinoma. In summary, risk factors for squamous cell carcinoma of the esophagus include smoking, alcohol, achalasia, and Plummer-Vincent syndrome. Next question. A 45-year-old African-American male presents to his primary care physician complaining of difficulty swallowing that was initially limited to solids but has now progressed to liquids. Biopsy of the esophagus reveals dysplastic cells but does not show evidence of glands or increased mucin. Which of the following patient behaviors most contributed to his condition? 1. Obesity 2. Smoking 3. Drinking extremely hot beverages 4. Gastroesophageal reflux disease or 5. Radiation exposure in the past 6 months And the correct answer choice is answer choice 2, smoking.
This patient has squamous cell carcinoma of the esophagus as seen with non-mucinous or non-glandular histology. Tobacco use is the most important risk factor for developing squamous cell carcinoma. Remember, worldwide, squamous cell carcinoma is the most common esophageal cancer and it is especially common in developing countries. It is believed that the mechanism leading to squamous cell carcinoma development involves mutation in several genes responsible for tumor suppression, for example, P53. Squamous cell carcinoma masses present small early in the course of the disease, but can eventually grow large enough to fill part of the esophageal lumen and cause obstruction, another common patient presentation. Evidence of glands or increased mucin on biopsy would suggest adenocarcinoma, which is not linked to smoking. Let's now review two citations related to this topic. In the first citation, Lake and Lopez discussed the epidemiology of squamous cell carcinoma, noting that it is diagnosed in African Americans more than Caucasians and has a male preponderance. Furthermore, along with smoking and alcohol consumption, ingestion of lye, diets lacking vegetables, esophageal webs, and achalasia are also risk factors for developing squamous cell carcinoma. In the second citation, Roshandel et al. discussed the role polyaromatic hydrocarbons may play in esophageal squamous cell carcinoma. According to the authors, the more one is exposed to polyaromatic hydrocarbons, the higher their risk of developing esophageal squamous cell carcinoma, implying a dose-dependent relationship. Let's now review the incorrect answer choices. Answer choice 1 is incorrect because obesity has been shown to increase the risk of esophageal adenocarcinoma fourfold, but has not been shown to be associated with esophageal squamous cell carcinoma. Answer choice 3 is incorrect because though hot beverages are a risk factor for developing esophageal squamous cell carcinoma, smoking is the most important risk factor. Answer choice 4 is incorrect because GERD would be more consistent with adenocarcinoma. And finally, answer choice 5 is incorrect because though radiation exposure is a risk factor for developing esophageal squamous cell carcinoma, it typically takes years following radiation exposure to develop esophageal squamous cell carcinoma. And that's all for this review about esophageal cancer. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the MedBullets Step 1 podcast, a daily audio review session by MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on MedBullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the MedBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from these MedBullets Step 1 podcasts so far, please consider leaving us a 5-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Also, if you are not already, be sure to follow MedBullets on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for daily high-yield content. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here on the MedBullets Step 1 podcast.